Hello, and welcome back to Into the Aether, the low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilker. Today is Halloween, so happy Halloween in the past, because this will come out on like November 4th or something. So Yeah, you feeling it? You feeling Halloween-y today? Not really. I felt Halloween-y last night, because I went to a Halloween party. Oh, okay. uh, today is just sort of like it. a vaguely hungover coffee day, Yeah, but I'm into it. I'm into that, whatever that is. <laughs> Yeah, I, I went for like a nice long walk today, uh, right when I woke up, and it was like that wonderful kind of fall day where it's like really, really cloudy and raining a little bit only in some yes. areas, but also yes. sunny somehow. Uh, yes. All the leaves on the ground, also farmer's market. I got a pumpkin spice latte. Oh, shit. Because I've... I had only had one so far this season. I was like, I should probably have at least two. And what better day than Halloween? And then yeah. I picked up a big jug of apple cider. So I'm like in it. I'm like ready. I'm, you know? yeah, I'm into that. Like, I think November is like pure like harvest vibes. So I'm into like yeah. getting pumpkin shit and everything. Yeah. Uh, so sign me <laughs> up. Yeah. Some people have a weird vendetta <laughs> against pumpkin spice. Like no one thinks it's actually pumpkin. You know, it's like the, the yeah. defense is like, oh, it's fake. Like, yeah. Every now and then you want that factory made just like whole milk with sugar in it and someone said it was a pumpkin i sometimes just want that in my life you know let people be basic not everything (laughs) needs to be complicated you know sometimes it's nice to know exactly what you're gonna get exactly because pumpkin itself as a flavor is more neutral uh, if you will you know of all the gourds out there it's not one of the more striking ones yeah all all those of you who live in that hashtag gourd life I just got a very severe flashback of high school physics class and we had a project <laughs> called Gordo Rama and we had to make like gourds on like skates and race them. Whoa. Yeah. My gourd did not do very well. No. But <laughs> I did make a cool roller coaster later on in the year. So my redemption arc was there. Mm. I do remember that project where you had to uh, drop an egg from the top of the bleachers and have it not crack. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Physics was like simultaneously like bullshit like that. And then just calculus. It's like, what is this class? (laughs) Wait, wait, what year in high school? So uh, for those of you who don't live in the U.S. in high school, generally, I don't know. Maybe it's different elsewhere. But in high school, there's four years freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. What of those four years did you do physics? Uh, It was my junior year. I was in honors physics junior year. Okay, it was junior year. They, for my year, when when my grade moved into high school, they switched physics to freshman year. And this is not, I'm not even kidding. This isn't a joke. I'm being completely serious. Everyone failed. Yeah, dude. Every person failed. (laughs) It was, I mean, obviously there are some overachievers who like made it happen. Some like just very smart people who aren't overachievers who also made it happen. But most people like got actual Fs and failed physics and they needed to switch uh, physics back. Yeah, because the thing is with physics, you need to also be learning algebra two alongside it. So if you, you know, if you're learning freshman year algebra and then advanced physics at the same time, (laughs) you've not been given the building blocks to to get higher than a D. So yeah. But yeah, for me it was biology, um, excuse me, biology, chemistry, physics, and then anatomy. Senior year you can get kind of creative. Because mm. there was anatomy, I think there was forensics, which was kind of funny. Yeah, forensics was one of them. I yeah. remember that. I, I was like, yeah. what what uh <laughs> high school cop wannabe is picking forensics? Forensics was, I feel like, sort of the like <laughs> 
senioritis class, you know, it's like, okay, what, what part of your schedule are you phoning it in for? And I think forensics was that. Yeah. I took environmental science, which was great. Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. Anatomy was cool. It was just all memorizing everything like the foramen magnum the the hole in your skull with the oh you still you still up. got it up there i did fucking well you got in it anatomy. in your foramen magnum <laughs> <laughs> anyway brendan what's what's leaking out of your foramen magnum these days well you know it's wise? it's new console season <laughs> you know big new console releases these are my favorite episodes when we get to bring a hot new console to the mix and you know do our in-depth review <laughs> Of a new system yeah. from a from a beloved video game console manufacturer. So uh, so excited to finally be able to talk about the eagerly anticipated Nintendo DSi. Yes, I'm I'm pumped to be honest. I think, <laughs> and honestly, based on the feedback we've gotten for the show, I think other people are pumped as well. <laughs> uh, I would hope so. Look, I'll I'll say this much. Recently, you and I have been talking a lot about uh, our our Game Boy Advance season premiere uh and and how much fun we had doing that you know we had like about like six months of prep work you know leading up to that episode uh we tried to keep it a secret you know but every once in a while we'd bring a game boy advance game to the show and like guess what it's all leading up to something i'm amazed we didn't blow it because around like march at least everyone was like they're bringing a lot of game boy advance games to the show and then like people were talking about the game boy advance in the discord we somehow like just barely dodged spoiling it yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it was like it was like a, a, in the end of a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie every time we talked about the Game Boy Advance where it'd be like the Game Boy Advance will return. Uh, yeah. And then it, it sure did. Uh, the, the premiere for this season was our big retrospective of the Game Boy Advance. Uh, you and I ranking Game Boy Advance games, doing a show ranking for the, our favorite Game Boy Advance games. Uh, and it was really fun. And um, initially, the idea for the podcast was uh, we would kick off every season with E3. And uh, over the years, E3 has become less of a thing. So we've been kind of like adrift figuring out what we wanted to do for season premieres. Um, and at the moment, I think there was such a huge amount of positive feedback for that Game Boy Advance episode that we were like, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the thing we do. Uh, and you and I talked a lot about what systems we would want to do it for. And I think for a long time, you and I were set on the Dreamcast, which yeah. I, I imagine will happen. I like. I think so, yeah. I, I think we were definitely drawn to like the underdog systems in a way. So like, you know, like I, I think literally any system would be fun to cover, but the Dreamcast just felt like, in in our vibe somehow. Yes. You know. I also I, I want to make it perfectly clear. I have never played a Dreamcast also. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. So I think that would be like an absolutely wild experience for me. Like That'd as somebody fun, who yeah. grew up with the Sega Genesis, I, I didn't make that leap to the Dreamcast. Uh, thankfully, I guess. But I think in retrospect, it would be very fun to go check out that catalog. Oh, um, yeah. So that was yeah, on the absolutely. list for a long time. Uh, I want to give a shout out to a friend of the show, Chris Plant, who specifically reached out to me and said that he wanted to come on the show and talk about the Dreamcast. And I was like, boy, if you could uh, get a window into the conversation Stephen and I are having right now about the Dreamcast. <laughs> that will you, happen in some way yeah, at some point. It'll that's, happen. That's de- Yeah, that's destiny. But that said, I don't something recently within me has awakened. I, I think it's me playing a lot of the Nintendo 3DS and like getting very back into that via Dragon Quest and some other stuff that has also caused me to like dig out my Nintendo DS games and start playing the like regular DS. And 
boy, is that system really good. And I like playing that stuff on the 3DS. I think it works like really well, as you would expect. Yeah. Um, but there was something very specific about playing it on the original hardware that I like really wanted to check out. So I, I did a whole bunch of research. I had the big tanky regular DS, like the silver one that you could like throw mm-hmm. down the stairs and it wouldn't break somehow. Um, you know, <laughs> like, 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 I'm Nokia sick of scribble nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, I, I had a huge. I love that catalog of games and I had always wanted. So after that one came the the DS Lite and then the DSi was the final revision before the 3DS was announced, like, I think six to eight months later, which is, you know, classic Nintendo. That's that's my thing. Whenever anybody talks about the Switch Pro is like, there's not going to be a Switch Pro. It was going to exist, but the OLED exists. It's like, dude, they announced the 3D, uh, sorry, the DSi and then literally like less than one calendar year later released the 3DS. Like there are no (laughs) rules when it comes to Nintendo hardware. But anyway, I I picked up the DSi because I'd always wanted one because I skipped straight from the old tanky DS to the 3DS. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, the DSi is like $50. The DS Lite is like $40 on the internet. I had a DS Lite. It stopped working eventually, but I loved that. Let me tell you, uh, you can get a replacement on eBay or pretty much anywhere. If you just go out on the street and ask some like random person, you can get a Nintendo DS of any variety for almost (laughs) no money because they sold... I mean, it's the second best-selling console family uh, after the PS2. I mean, it is like... Of all time, yeah. Yes, it is a hugely, or was, I guess, a hugely popular system. And for that reason, also, like, looking around the landscape at, like, okay, it's very cheap and easy to buy a console. I got, like, a DSi. Steven can see it. New inbox. I can see it. New inbox. With all the stuff. Well, not new. I mean, it was a little bit used. But, you know, it was in the box. It had all the stuff with it. Charger, stylus, everything. Like, the manuals for $50 on eBay. And then like looking around at the landscape of games also like reasonable prices to get some of that stuff like Mario Kart DS hugely popular game like six dollars you can get it for on on uh you know the secondhand market. So the thing about the Game Boy Advance was it is currently like very much in vogue to go buy a Game Boy Advance and go buy those games. And for that reason, a game like WarioWare Twisted is $85 uh, at a used game store. It is expensive to go buy Game Boy Advance stuff. And I don't think that the zeitgeist has latched onto the Nintendo DS as like the cool retro handheld yet, which is why we've decided. And I know we're announcing this very early, but trust me, there's a reason for that. It's why we've decided that for next season's premiere, we will be covering the Nintendo DS library, of which there are literally thousands of games, uh, (laughs) which is why we're giving ourselves a huge... (laughs) huge buffer uh because we have a lot of stuff to play and a lot of them are like long hundred hour yeah, RPGs. rpgs yeah, yeah. there's like three etrian odyssey games on on that system multiple uh, dragon quest remakes multiple <laughs> pokemon games i mean there's just like so much stuff on the ds uh but the fact that it is an affordable piece of hardware like right now as of this recording halloween 2021 it means that by us announcing this early hopefully you dear listener if you want to play along with us uh you can go get one cheaply and easily before the zeitgeist takes hold uh and the nintendo (laughs) ds skyrockets in price to uh, a level that most people won't be able to even fathom, much less purchase. I think I think it's a great point because it, it is weirdly a mirror of the Game Boy Advance in that Game Boy Advance is like very hard to get but easy to emulate in a lot of ways. Yes. And the DS currently is the opposite <laughs> in well, some way. Oh, maybe not. You're you're the tech whiz. Um, maybe it's just easy in both areas. It's pretty easy in both areas. Cool. 
Well, I'll, I'll just say I'll say that much and we'll we'll leave it at that. <laughs> but I'm really excited to do this. Like another shout out to backlogged.com, the service you brought up, I guess, last week or two weeks ago. Yeah, it's essentially like a uh, similar service to Letterboxd, but for games. Weirdly, my game of the year is just organizing stuff on that site. Cause it's so fun to do. Anyway, uh, we were making a <laughs> list of like stuff we plan on checking out for the ds episode and yeah there's so much i'm really excited to revisit and to play elite beat agents trauma center under the knife oh yeah sign me up yeah there's there's so much good stuff in this library and so many things that i have always wanted to play and i've never been able to there's a sequel to okami on the ds that i'm like so stoked to check out nintendogs i have just ignored for most of my life but i'm excited to raise a labrador retriever uh virtually i think that's gonna be fun there's some final fantasies on there there's a there's two kingdom hearts games there's two zelda games which i'm very excited to revisit there's a pokemon game called pokemon conquest that i need to know what it is <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm excited the description this. is wild and i can't wait to see it. and it looks like it got good reviews too which is amazing so yeah i don't yeah. know how neither of us have heard of it or played it but anyway the nintendo ds it's here you can go get one you can play along with us. I, I will put my list of stuff that I'm planning on playing on Backlogged. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes so you can check that out if you want to play along with us. Uh, book club adjacent, I guess. But uh, that said, very excited about it. And I'll say this much as well. Now that I have a DSi in my hands, I love the Nintendo DSi. It is so good. I, I Look, go look at pictures of the Nintendo DS, the DS Lite, and the DSi, and the DSi looks like it belongs in the MoMA by comparison. It is a gorgeous piece of hardware. There's something very stark about the one gigantic camera on the outside. It looks a lot like the Microsoft Surface Duo, which is a phone that I also love, but won't get into why. But playing this stuff on that system versus playing on the 3DS has been kind of eye-opening for some reason. Like, the 3DS, I think, is is great at playing DS games, but it letterboxes uh, the games on the sides. Like, the top screen will have black bars on the left and right because the aspect ratio of the 3DS top screen is different. So if you're playing on original hardware, you don't have that issue. Everything just kind of fits the screen perfectly and looks great. And I uh, have been loving that experience. I know it's very silly. I talked to some people in the Discord about it. Like I was thinking about buying one. Everybody was like, you have a 3DS and you have hacked your 3DS. Like why, why get a DS? And it's like, literally, I just wanted to play these games on the original hardware Uh, and I'm doing it and it's really great. And I've been playing specifically Mario Kart DS a lot, which you and I have talked about a bit off the show. You know, I I, I think it's like widely regarded that pretty much every Mario Kart game is the best one until another one comes out. That's like kind of how that franchise has worked for a long time. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. Yeah, there are some exceptions to that rule. Um, yeah. Every once in a while, I think some some people didn't like Mario Kart Wii, even though it also was, I think, one of the best-selling uh, Wii games, specifically because like the Wii was hugely popular at the time. So like, of course, yeah. Mario Kart. I remember Mario Kart also selling out in stores the same way the Wii itself did because it was so popular. <laughs> And then they had the wheel. With the with wheel, the yeah, which is yeah. very silly. But anyway, every once in a while, a Mario Kart game will come out and people will be like, eh, I don't know if this one's working as well. Mario Kart DS, though, was huge, like a huge deal. Uh, that is like the reason that that game is so cheap to pick up is because they made a shitload of them because everybody wanted it. I mean, it was a system seller for the DS and it added so much to that franchise. You and I talked about Super Circuit a bunch um, during the Game Boy Advance bonus and and my whole spiel on uh, Super Circuit was just like, 
it's the most bare bones version of Mario Kart possible. And it plays yeah. on the Game Boy Advance. And that's a miracle. And it, and it almost serves to just highlight how strong the fundamentals of that game are. Here I go. Oh, yeah. Right, whoa. Oh, no. Hello, dear listener. There was a hey. there was an iced coffee related mishap. Uh, <laughs> but now we're back. You know when I said Halloween was over, it reared its ugly head and yeah. said, "You can't stop being scared." And and uh, made me spill an entire big glass of unsweetened, thankfully, iced coffee in, directly in the middle of my keyboard. It could not have been a worse placement for a spill. I have dried it. I have used condensed air to get all of the coffee out. I hope my laptop will survive. It seems to be fine right now. Enough to at least record this episode, and then I will go to the Genius Bar, whatever it's called, and they will mm-hmm. charge me money for something. But yeah. crisis averted, I think. Tim Cook will help you out, I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Anyway... Here's the thing about Mario Kart DS. It is maybe perfect. It is like perfection, I think, for a, an era of Mario Kart. It, it, feel, it feels like an era of Mario Kart kind of summed up. And everything else since Mario Kart DS has been like trying to take it in a new direction. The thing, the thing about Mario Kart DS is that it, it feels like kind of like Super Circuit did where it, where Super Circuit to me and the reason I loved it so much was it was like let's almost take another crack at Super Mario Kart for the Super Nintendo it was like let's just do that again but like make it like feel the way it should <laughs> yeah right Mario Kart DS kind of feels like that but for I think that entire like realm of Mario Kart like we're keeping it simple the tracks are mostly flat you know they're hilly and have some stuff going on they're like hazards and stuff very basic items but you're not like riding a bike you're not flying through the air you're not going underwater it's like pretty bare bones Mario Kart but it added so much to that franchise I, I think mainly and the reason so many people bought it and loved it and played it on the DS uh, and the reason you can get it for six dollars is mainly because it was the first one that had online, like really seamless, good online multiplayer with friends yeah. uh, in a way that like Nintendo themselves have kind of veered away from. Like <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. I remember I I talked about this um, on a stream I did recently, but I remember like literally like begging my parents for us to get a new Wi-Fi router so I could play Mario Kart DS better. Like I could have a better connection <laughs> for Mario Kart DS because I loved it so much. It's really it's really a kind of surprisingly good game still. Yeah. And and this is like hot off the heels of me like praising Mario Kart Super Circuit on the GBA. But one of the things that I, I kept thinking about was like, am I just loving this because I just bought a Nintendo DSi and I'm playing this game on the original hardware for the first time since I was like a kid? Like, is this just nostalgia? And I did a stream the other night where I literally went back and played through every single Mario Kart game on stream, which you can go find on our YouTube. Well, except for Mario Kart Wii and Mario Kart 7, both of which I couldn't get to work on stream. But then I did play after the stream was over. So I, I'm coming to this episode, Stephen, dear viewer, having played literally every single Mario Kart game <laughs> just to see if my love of DS was just nostalgia glasses and it is absolutely not mario kart ds still absolutely rules the thing about it i think that's so interesting is it's like slightly more difficult than you would expect 
which was kind of the conceit of my stream was like I wanted to see which Mario Kart was the hardest one. And I, I think, you know, varied results, a long conversation you could have about which of them are actually difficult. Super Mario Kart, clearly the most difficult, like actually, because yeah. A, it was made in 1992. They hadn't, uh, you know, polished out the mechanics of how Mario Kart was going to work. Every character except you has a super ability that they can use whenever they want without running over that. an item block uh, and, and can just kind of use at their own whim. Mario and Luigi, for example, get an invincibility star literally yeah. whenever they want. Just they like just every every other five seconds, basically. Yeah, it's shocking. That game, yeah. it it is difficult to play on top of being wildly balanced against your favor. It is excruciatingly <laughs> hard. I always wondered if they forgot to give the player that ability. Like it feels like either a cruel <laughs> trick or they're like, oh, shit, like that ability doesn't happen when you're playing as them. Yes. Uh, yes. But, you know, whatever. That game is shocking. I, I had not played a lot of Super Mario Kart, but I was like, uh, I feel like I should give it like a fair shake, especially for yeah. this. And and very quick. I mean, it was the first one I played because I played them all in release order that night. It was very quickly like it's going to be hard to top this in terms of just crushing difficulty. Yeah, I think I've been playing that game my whole life and I have never beaten like the 150 cup of one of the tracks it's just like i it's my one the one thing i know for sure in this chaotic world is that i will never beat that <laughs> so that's where i'm at with it's it. wild it's, it's a wild yeah. it's a wild experience the, the i would say the second most difficult one i i like literally went in and did a ranking for myself the second most difficult one is double dash and it's not even because the game is that hard it's literally just fucking chaos like i think when people talk about mario kart <laughs> being like a chaotic, like friend destroying experience. It's because of the precedent that Double Dash set because the game is not difficult. It's just mechanically dense to the point where it's hard to tell what you're supposed to be doing or what's going on on screen. You yeah. can't look, I've played a lot of video games. You can do it. I've done it. I beat the mirror mode in Double Dash when I was a kid. It's all I've done it before. But revisiting all of them now, especially compared to one another, Double Dash is like you got to pick two characters. You got to be yeah. switching characters. Who's driving? Who's in the back at all times? You got to be watching out for every character's super ability that they're all getting all the time. The tracks are more dense than they've ever been before because they're like full 3D rendering. We can do whatever the fuck we want now. Yeah. Um, I mean, that game is chaotic. It's like really a lot and it's almost difficult just because they've like crammed it with so much stuff. And I think what's interesting about Mario Kart as a franchise and its evolution is like they have kind of, I would say, uh, swayed back and forth on how dense they want that game to be and have added new mechanics that have both helped and hurt it in the long run leading up to Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which I think you and I would agree is probably the best Mario Kart game. It just yeah, I would say so feels like the most balanced it feels like the most fun it feels like kind of exactly what you would want but it has all the spectacle of everything that came before it yeah exactly right i i, I think i think it's kind of a masterstroke and double dash as much as i love it to be clear all mario kart games are good but uh double dash by comparison to mario kart 8 is like this is where it all could have gone wrong like if you had invested <laughs> in all the wrong stuff you would have mario kart double dash which gives it its own quality it gives it its own kind of like ethos and vibe i think that double dash is great but it just feels like a cartoon failed version of mario kart 8 deluxe i think it also uh, represents as we've often brought up like yes. how every gamecube game is like a weird experiment and yes. double dash being the gamecube mario kart makes perfect sense you know? absolutely like, you're so right it's a notch away from being like what if they all had blimps you know like it's like in that <laughs> headspace where we almost got blimp cart you know um, yes 
I am so, so with you there. Uh, (laughs) And again, I know I just called it a failed version of Mario Kart. I still think it's incredible. I would say that's, that's definitely my third favorite. I would say like, I think there's something where if, if super circuit is like, okay, super Mario Kart is like this new idea. They got it like kind of right enough that people were interested in his sequel. 64 like refined it. Super Circuit's like, okay, let's go back to basics. DS feels like they really nailed the driving for the first time. Like you could take the items out of Mario Kart DS and I think it would still be a really solid racer. I think so too. Ironically, the game that came out around the same time was Mario Kart Wii, which is like the exact opposite. Mario Kart Wii is just spectacle, which is fun. Like it's still a fun time, but I feel like you're you're getting that's the game that really went wild with items like even in like Mario Kart of course items are always like a determining factor but it felt like it didn't even matter like I feel like in in the best Mario Karts if you're driving the best you will likely do better and in Mario Kart Wii if you're in you know 13th place because there's like 30 people racing in that game for whatever reason yeah it just felt the most dependent on items in a way that sort of devalues like how you're actually racing which you could argue is the entire series but it's most you could feel it the most in mario kart wii in my opinion yeah uh mario kart wii upon revisiting it the other night i have kind of grown a new appreciation for i i still agree with you i i think the the term that everybody uses when talking about mario kart and pretty much all racing games mostly like arcade racing games is is rubber banding which is like essentially the better you drive the faster the cpu will drive because the game still wants to challenge you um yeah and i would say six mario kart 64 and mario kart wii are the two games where that is the most overt where like you could be driving perfectly and the game is like, no, 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 no. I don't give a <laughs> shit how well you're driving because Wario is still going to be on your ass the whole time. Yeah. Um, and, and Mario Kart, we kind of has rubber banding via items, as you're saying. I mean, the, the items are just like out of control. That game is, you know, talking about Mario Kart difficulty. It's like weirdly, weirdly one of the harder ones, uh, but still really fun. I I kind of had like a not so great, I, I, I would say, uh, memory of Mario Kart Wii. I, I didn't hold it up to the same caliber as like a Double Dash or um, a, a Super Circuit or whatever. Uh, but revisiting it, I like it a lot. I mean, again, every Mario Kart game is pretty good. Yeah, right. But uh, I, I think the thing about Mario Kart DS, so just going through this list, Super uh, Super Mario Kart, most difficult. Double Dash, second most difficult. Number three, I still think, is Mario Kart DS. And the reason for that is literally exactly what you were saying, which is that they just focused on driving. Like, they focused on you need to be actually good at driving in the game to succeed. And that is where the difficulty comes from. And I think that's exhilarating. It's the first time that the the game has been hard on purpose like they actually like went in and said no mechanically we're going to focus more on this than anything else and it's so successful at that yeah. i mean it is just far and away i think like the best feeling mario kart and that's even honestly including mario kart 8 which feels the most arcadey but is the most fun because of it mario kart ds feels like the tightest of all of them still uh, I really, really love Mario Kart DS. Uh, I, I've been so surprised by it. Like literally all of my free time, I've just been like watching Frasier on Hulu uh, and <laughs> playing Mario Kart DS, which has been a great experience for me for some reason. But I guess j- j- while I'm just talking about every Mario Kart game, considering I played all of them, I'll just go through. Mario Kart 7 uh, was one that I was really interested in revisiting for the 3DS. I had played a shitload of it. I remember playing a shitload of it on the 3DS when it came out. Had absolutely no memory of it at all. Like, I was like, I, I just feel like somebody like wiped my brain, like total recall kind of experience <laughs> uh, with Mario Kart 7. So I booted it up 
expecting like, okay, maybe I'll find like a strange hidden gem in this franchise. Everybody seems to have forgotten seven. Like, let's see what, because even Mario Kart Wii, I think is like the least well-regarded one. But because of that, it's still more popular or at least more in the zeitgeist than Mario Kart 7. It also sold the best, like by far. Yes. I think it's like the number one selling Mario Kart. Yeah. So Mario Kart 7, I was like, oh, maybe this is like the weird, you know, diamond in the rough situation. Let me check it out. And I, I, I know exactly why I forgot about this game, why nobody talks about it. It is just Mario Kart 8, but worse. Like it really. <laughs> oh, bummer. It's look, it's gorgeous. It looks incredible on the 3DS. It's shocking how beautiful that game is. It's the one that included driving underwater it's the one that included driving in the air with a with a glider things like that you know it added a lot to the franchise but unfortunately just feels like completely uh unhooked from fun because of it in a weird way um (laughs) unhooked from fun i love that mario kart 8 takes every idea that Mario Kart 7 had and does it like significantly better. Mario Kart 8, I didn't realize this. I I had kind of forgotten this, but it just feels like Mario Kart 8 is a refinement of everything they tried to do in 7 and takes it so far beyond 7 and so far beyond the rest of the franchise that it's like so clearly the best one. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, throughout the series, you can see some focus on spectacle and some focus on the driving. And 8 is like a really perfect balance. It it definitely feels like it has what the ds did really well but you know plus everything else yeah totally which again i think leads to the ds version feeling like the most focused in some ways because it's like really everything is around the racing whereas in eight everything is like alongside each other at full level you know yeah yeah. One one thing that I learned that I think was really interesting uh, is that Retro Studios, who uh, made, I think it was Donkey Kong Country Returns for the Wii, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and also Metroid Prime and uh, a bunch of other games for Nintendo, worked on Mario Kart 7. Uh, and because of that, the Donkey Kong levels in that game are stunning, which is hilarious. <laughs> like, like That's so great. clearly the best looking ones. I also didn't know this. Intelligent Systems, the Fire Emblem uh, creators. Yeah. Uh, made Super uh, Super Circuit for the Game Boy Advance. Oh, no way. That's cool. Yeah. Isn't that wild? That's why um, there's permadeath in that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I lost Koopa Troopa right away. Yeah. yeah. Rest in peace, Yoshi. Um, <laughs> anyway, look, I really enjoyed playing through every Mario Kart game. That was a really interesting experience. It was a fun stream. Yeah, that's on our YouTube as well if you want to if you want to see Brendan in real time chronicle the series. <laughs> and talk a lot about Fraser lore. <laughs> <laughs> There is a close friend of mine who I know listens to the show who is a huge fan of Frasier, and I hope that they caught that moment because it felt like everything (laughs) aligning. Mario Kart DS is great. I'm going to keep playing it. Mario Kart 7, I probably won't play as much, (laughs) if I'm being honest. I Uh, ordered a new copy of Mario Kart DS because that was a game that I played, like, I think I won 100% of that game, like, to the point where I think it just disappeared. Like, Mm. I I think I gave it to a friend and never got it back. Same with my copy of Kingdom Hearts 2, which I haven't forgotten. Friend who I gave it to. Although now I have (laughs) 1.5 party time or whatever it's called. So I have it somewhere in my PS5. But uh, yeah, it's it's a fantastic game. I'm, I'm really just, I'm wondering, like, you know, when we did the Game Boy Advance episode, I think there was sort of this common thesis of like, this is the handheld that 
proved that it could be its own thing. It's not like a less than portable version of the home console. It's like doing something unique to itself. And a lot of the SNES ports were sort of like a flex of like, here's what we can run on the handheld console. And the DS in many ways is a continuation of that idea, especially alongside the Wii being the home console. And in many ways, the DS library being like more impressive in in a lot of areas. Mm. I'm just wondering if that's like the beginning, if, if the thesis of the DS episode will be the beginning of the handheld like being better than the home console because the next two are the ds and the wii and the 3ds and the wii u and i feel like (laughs) i don't want to say better objectively but i think that like their the central um design of of having two screens and having a stylus was, was so natural to a handheld device in a way that force motion controls wasn't for the long term at least yeah uh so yeah. I don't know, it's, it's gonna be a lot of fun i'm really really excited to do that episode with you yeah it, it is interesting in retrospect how i mean the ds just being such a successful handheld like forced all of these third-party developers to like really take advantage of that second screen um and and the touchscreen and stuff like that but you're you're totally right nintendo kept trying to recapture that same magic over and over again um and like nobody focused on 3d on the 3ds nobody focused on anything the wii u was trying to do <laughs> and i i think the switch is like kind of the the nice middle ground of all of that right like yeah. the switch is like you don't really have to buy into any gimmick you just have to make sure the thing runs when it's in handheld mode and that's kind of the most important part absolutely yeah anyway speaking of the ds you've been playing another nintendo ds game yeah so uh i've i've been starting to play some games in preparation for that episode and also just out of my own curiosity because when i was at the retro store getting luigi's mansion and the staff applauded me for buying luigi's mansion one which is a very proud moment of mine i also was looking at ds stuff and just games that i have wanted to play but haven't yet so of course i picked up pokemon white 2 (laughs) Uh, which is <laughs> just a name that I think reads out loud like we're running out of ideas. Like I know that's like the the joke with all Pokemon, but like no more, nowhere is it more clear than than white and black too. I think that that's yeah. just like we we don't know how to name these anymore. The next one's gonna be up and down. We're here. It's um, wild. Yeah, it's wild that black and white were the ones that got direct sequels. I mean, I know they focus more on story with black and white than any of the other yeah. ones. I, j- I recently brought Pokemon Black to the show yeah. um, not too long ago and enjoyed what I played of it and will be playing the rest of it for the DS episode when that yeah. eventually happens. But it just I remember even at the time, I mean, you and I obviously are big fans of Pokemon, but I remember even at the time being like, what? When they announced <laughs> Black and White 2, <laughs> just, it, yeah. you know, a classic Nintendo like, oh, swerve, you know, like you, you never would have seen this coming. But like, I really didn't see that coming to the point where. I still question the choice. I so this, I was someone who got Pokemon. I think I got Pokemon White that came out like in the middle of college for me. I got yeah. it. I really liked it. I beat it. And then when Pokemon White and Black 2 came out, a friend lent me their copy. I had the ability to play it and I didn't. Like So that was like <laughs> yeah. my interest in a direct sequel to a game I enjoyed. I'm like, I don't need this. Um, and also like the, the track record for Pokemon games, like we talk about this with the Crystal episode where Crystal is like the way to play original Gen 2. But like if you at the time had played Silver or Gold, like there might not have been a huge draw for Crystal. You know, it's like it's right. largely the same game. So it's like at the time, there's not a huge reason to get it. But in retrospect, it's like, well, maybe I'll get the one that's like the most refined version. Yes. It's like, did you get the iPhone 4 or did you get the iPhone 4S? Were you on the S cycle or the, or the main numbered cycle? I got the iPhone 4 too. Um, <laughs> 
But anyway, Pokemon Black and White 2 is set two years after the plot of Pokemon White and Black. I, I like Pokemon White and Black a lot. I think you and I differ on that a little bit. I'm not, it's not my favorite generation, but I definitely think it is a nice swan song to that era of Pokemon. Because it's 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 the one before X and Y, which I think like every game since X and Y has kind of been like that. You know, it's been in that like ballpark of Pokemon game in, in just the way that it's structured to like okay there's 3d pokemon the campaign's like a little easier uh it's a little bit more like weirdly to say because they're all kids games but you know it's more kid friendly the newer ones and then sword and shield as we discussed a lot seems to be like the branching point of whatever they do next so they're like trying out stuff with the wild area and now we're seeing arceus come up so we'll see what happens next with pokemon Mm -hmm. black and white just feels a little bit weirdly like mario kart ds mechanically where they're sort of looking at every past pokemon game and like focusing specifically on battles and like sort of what people want mechanically out of a Pokemon game, which I think is why a lot of people love Gen 5 because it is sort of so focused on that. And it's also, it's like a nice bridge visually because every Pokemon sprite is like constantly animated. So it's not 3D yet, but it has way more movement and life than, you know, the other kind of flat sprites do. And I think that was the one really noticeable thing about Diamond and Pearl is like, those were the, the first Pokemon games to come out on DS, and it they were not really utilizing the hardware like in any way. It was just yeah. sort of like, here's another Pokemon game. Yeah. Be, kind of like really pretty environments in that game, but once yeah, you totally. got into a battle, it was like, this is very Game Boy Advance adjacent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I thought... I I thought black and white did a lot of cool design things like i think that was the game that made tms reusable there was some cool new pokemon the the battling was like a bit more refined and the campaign was very challenging so it was like it was it was sort of the game for a certain type of pokemon enthusiast and the story is like interesting conceptually but it's still pokemon like, i, I kind of push back on the people who are like no narrative has captured the highs of pokemon white and black i'm like it is not good I'm it, it, so it has <laughs> a story and by virtue of having a story it is it is different from the other games yeah yeah <laughs> but i it's, mean it's, it's like the people who get upset when you say mario has no personality <laughs> That he's just he's like a blank so canvas cool. for you to just kind of like, oh my yeah. god. He talks a lot in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> But um, anyway, I I would say like if I if I were to rank the Pokemon games, I would say like Black and White is like number five for me. Where it's like I, I like what it's doing. I like playing it, but it's also like when I play Pokemon Crystal, I get very immersed in the world, you know. And again, it's very simple stuff, but I feel more part of the setting because of the focus of that game on atmosphere and the setting itself. Mm-hmm. That was the first game to introduce like the night and day cycles, all that. Emerald too, Emerald like the setting and and sort of the natural world is such the focus of that game that you get very endeared to the setting. In black and white, it feels a little bit soulless in some ways, where it's just sort of like you're going through the motions of a game, and they're like they know where and when to challenge you and to like twist certain things. But like, I don't feel part of it. I just feel like I'm playing Pokemon. But yeah, and that's a kind of an abstract idea. But it's white and black is the game that I might play the most if I just like want to play something while I don't know Frasier is on. Like it's a very good like podcast game or whatever. All that to say, white and black two is two years after the riveting events of Pokemon White and Black. Uh, and it's 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 the most a Pokemon game has like not cared to do the conventions. Like you begin the game and Bianca, who is a character from Black and White, is like, hey, do you want a Pokedex? 
decks. Like, there's no call to adventure. There's no like, uh, <laughs> you know, your rival, your neighbor or whatever. It's just like, do you want this? Here it is. Here's a Pokemon. Here's like a good move. Uh, everyone's just like giving you shit like unceremoniously <laughs> and I kind of like that because are you the playing game, as a different character yeah you're you're not the same character which is interesting because I think that there is room for like a Mass Effect sequel where you like carry over your team to the next file maybe you're like a gym leader or something that could be fun yeah but uh, I mean I'm into both concepts there like I uh, you know if you're making a direct sequel to a Pokemon game I would kind of expect to be able to carry my progress over weirdly but yeah if not then whatever honestly that's it hmm that's a direction I would love to see Pokemon go in is like, let's just make a sequel where every single game you get to carry your progress over to a new region with new stuff going on and you bring your Pokemon with you. That would weirdly emulate what Ash is doing in the show a lot better than I think a lot of the games do themselves. I think so, too. I, I think I think that actually is a great idea. But anyway, White and Black 2 is is not doing that. You are a new character. The starters are the same. Honestly, man. I think what really holds Gen 5 back for me, too, and it's such a silly thing, but the starters are just so boring to me. Like, I think it's like one of the worst generations of starters. You've got Tepig. Oh, yeah. You've got uh, Snivy, who is like lawful evil Trico. Uh, and then you have Oshawott, who is a cool otter. And their second form is a cool otter. And then they become a sea lion. And I'm furious about that. because I'm yeah. like, why... <laughs> Why are they a sea lion now? I know I'm asking for realism in a sequel to the fifth generation of Pokemon games, but come on. I wanted to see a big otter, you know, like, <laughs> give me that. Give me that. I chose the otter, though. I named them Chowder. Um, anyway, oh, so nice. I like I like the sort of almost the vibe of the game being like, we know you know what to do. Here's everything you need. Go do it. Yeah. The biggest difference about white and black 2 compared to the original white and black is that every generation of pokemon is available to catch like wherever so while wow. white and black was like only the unova region pokemon are there and then like i think once you beat the elite four there's like an end game area where you can catch other pokemon and white and black 2 like you might just find growlithe or you might find pit of or like you know there's there's a mix everywhere which i actually really like especially just sort of playing this game kind of casually in the background like i like the immediate wild variety like i caught um lucario's first form just like outside the starter town like this is wild wow yeah. I mean, usually you get like a rat or two in the area outside your hometown i just got like one of the mascot franchise pokemon like stumbling into them <laughs> um i'm pretty early on i'm on the second gym roxy uh she's the poison type gym leader and her gym is like a cool underground venue in the city so like you walk through this oh, nice. narrow staircase and you go around and the gym is like just the band warming up so if you talk to Roxy right away she can't hear you so you have to challenge her band members so they stop playing and then you can <laughs> challenge her which I think there's like a lot of like that gym I think kind of speaks to why people love gen 5 because it's like it is being very creative with conventions um, in a way that isn't making them new but is just like twisting them or, or or commenting on them in a way that like makes the game feel fresh in some ways yeah so i i really i'm enjoying it i don't know i'm like struggling to see if i like it more or less than white and black as much as i am not like as like blown away by the story i do think it is an interesting campaign i think it is like a good single player pokemon game but I like the looseness and like uh, the 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 lack of immediate direction and the lack of like 
constant battles and like constant scenes with N who's like, what if Pokemon were just like us? See, like all of the sort of melodrama. Like I like that they just sort of throw you in and like it's up to you to do what you want. That to me speaks to the Pokemon games that I really like, like Crystal and Emerald too. Those have an A plot, but they're way more comfortable letting you just experience the world at your own pace. And I think I think in a Pokemon game, I prefer that over the sort of railroaded, uh, me and my two best friends are going to take our first step out of the hometown and then N shows up and battles me and then I meet Team Plasma who want to get along with Pokemon and then I have to battle them and then I realize that they're actually not what they appear to be. Like It's constant, you know, yeah. in, in white and black. I like the looseness of the sequel I'm sure so we've far. said this exact sentence on the show before, but I'll say it again. I, I think generally speaking, the more a Pokemon game tries to lean into narrative, the worse that narrative ends up being. <laughs> Um, right which is why i mean go back and listen to our pokemon crystal bonus like half of that episode is us just praising the ambiance of that game yeah yeah because it it so firmly captures this idea which was prevalent like in the in the zeitgeist of conversation about pokemon at the time which is this world is just cool like this is just like a cool place to be and silver gold and crystal were just like yeah we know and we're just gonna give you that and that's pretty much it and I, I think that that works more often than it doesn't. It's one of the reasons I liked Sword and Shield so much for the most part until you get towards the end game and, you know, the world ending plot begins. Yeah. But like most of that game and, and a lot of our conversation about the lead up to that game, most of that game just focuses on this idea that like, yeah, if this were actually the way the world worked, there would be gigantic stadiums where people would go battle as like a huge spectator event. We've seen it in the movies and in the anime and things like that. We've seen it alluded to in other games, but Sword and Shield like really just kind of honed in on that. And I think just paring down the entire Pokemon experience to like you're just a kid who wants to do well at like what is essentially a, a major league sport is really like a cool concept. Oh, yeah. I, I loved the focus on gyms and gym leaders in Sword and Shield. That That is by far the heart of that game because, yeah. like, they all exude so much personality and, like, you get a little bit of their story as well. And, again, it, it has almost, like, a sports anime vibe to it. Yeah. It is just about, like, being the best in that. And then, you know, Chairman Rose is like, I'm actually President Shinra. It's like, I don't need any of that. Like, that sucks. <laughs> you feel, it, like, he's bored to announce his end of the world plan. I spoiled it. I don't care. That part of the game is so bad. I'd rather you just know so you can avoid it <laughs> yeah it's it's uh I, th- I think it's i think it's a bummer I, I that's one of the reasons that sun and moon also are kind of like lower on my on my yeah. list uh is like that game could have been so great because they're kind of trying to capture essentially what is like hawaii uh yeah. in a pokemon game and is so gorgeous i mean that game is it's so beautiful. so pretty yeah. but it also opens with like a sci-fi escape scene where somebody steals an alien pokemon from a <laughs> dark underground lab uh and opens like a gate to the cosmos i i, I don't know <laughs> like yeah and uh, honestly like like mario kart i like all, all the pokemon games are fun like i i've enjoyed literally all of them yeah same and you and i also love the bizarre camp of it like i i would say half of season two of this show is us losing our minds about the build-up to sword and shield <laughs> and like the reveal every tweet, of, yeah every yeah, paltygeist all yeah. that all of that cramorant like I live for that. But I do think the series shines the most when it is like just sort of a slice of life view of this world. Like I, I'm way more interested in like what the household that just has a, a pit of in it is like over, you know, whoever the next 
like god of death is that I have to catch before I fight uh, Monsanto. Yes. You know, yes, exactly. But all that to say, I, I I think this is a pretty like elementary glance at Pokemon White too, because I'm so early on. It will probably come up again, I imagine, either later in the show or potentially on our DS episode. It's a safe bet that at least one Pokemon game on the DS will be on that episode, and it's really a battle between. White and black, diamond and pearl and platinum, and then heart gold and soul silver, which honestly, yeah, if I had to guess, like those games rock. And the fact that all my favorite Pokemon games are all versions of Gen 2, I think is not a coincidence. <laughs> you know, between Crystal, actual gold and silver, and then the fourth gen remix of silver and gold, like that's it, man. That, that's the peak for me. And Emeralds, you know, yeah. Gen 3. I think it'll specifically be really interesting to go play diamond and pearl and platinum again in the wake of the remakes for the switch also. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And see what was lost or what was like retained and all yeah, that. I think yeah. that's going to be really an interesting experience. Pokemon black and what I'm very interested to like finally finish both of those games. Uh, yeah. And, um, yeah. I, I have, a, I, I think, I think that again, I, I would weirdly compare them to Mario Kart DS in that it's sort of like, okay, let's look at like refining the central mechanic of this game, but without spectacle. And weirdly, I think that actually works better in Mario Kart DS's case because I actually want I don't want spectacle in the ca- in the case of world ending plots, but I want that setting. And I do like Unova as like the New York inspired setting, but something about it just I love Roxy's nightclub gym, but I don't I couldn't describe to you the town I'm in. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't describe to you the route there. Whereas like every route, every town in Emerald, I like literally while I was streaming, it, I would always comment on it. Like every part of that world has such a strong identity. There's the town like by the volcano where there's like falling ash on the route there. Yeah. Um. You know, there's like the treehouse area town. There's like the harbor towns. Like every place, like you really love that place so much that when there is the bizarre Team Aqua Team Magma story, like that is the series beginning to fall into that pitfall. <laughs> yeah. But it works in that game because you care about the setting in a way that like I couldn't really describe to you the settings of Gen 4 and 5 other than there's a mountain and there's New York and like a weird dig at New Jersey at one point where you catch Garboder. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I, I, I'm excited to keep playing. I'll, I'll, I will report back, but I hope this sheds some kind of light on the sequel. It shed some light that uh, when it comes to dunking on New Jersey, you and I are extremely <laughs> biased against all New Jersey dunks. I become the longer I don't live in New Jersey, the more pro Jersey I become, <laughs> you know, I always even growing up my thing because it was like in the era of Jersey Shore airing on MTV. I was oh, always just like, it's fine that people think New Jersey is terrible. Secretly, I know it's great. And that's that means more for me. <laughs> I always say I feel like it's like New Jersey is sandwiched between cool cities. So I feel like Philly and New York. Yeah. People's experience are driving through it. And when you drive through New Jersey, you get just like the factory tour of New Jersey. So, <laughs> of course, you're going to be like, what is in this the Meadowlands. Yeah. Yeah. It's like coughing and Garboder and that's all you get. Yeah. But uh, it is a cool spot. I, I like New Jersey a lot. Top I'm going to be wheezing. there in December. Top hat wheezing. Fairy and steel type. What? That's cool. <laughs> all right. Let's take a break. Very defensive. <laughs> That sounds good. Uh, See you soon. Goodbye. Go, go, go. Pikmin, Pikmin. Go, go, go. Whoa. Pikmin, Pikmin. Go, go, go. It's it's Bloom, isn't it? It is Bloom. I fucked it up. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We're talking about Pikmin Bloom for uh, (laughs) iOS and Android devices. 
It's a new game by Niantic in partnership with Nintendo. Niantic, uh, most people know as the developers of Ingress. <laughs> yeah, most people know that one. And then Pokemon Go, uh, which was a hugely popular game. Oh, yeah. Still um, is in many ways. I mean, still, not not the same is. like massive, like everyone's playing it, but there's definitely still a big community. You live it. in the city of Pokemon Go. I would call Chicago the city of Pokemon Go. Really? Why? It's, it's where they have the uh, the big like yearly event or where they used to have it, I guess, before the pandemic. But they used to have like the big Pokemon Go Day festival would be in Chicago. There That summer, the summer of 2016, like I lived next to a gym. I was team uh, Valor, I believe. Yeah. And um, You're damn right. The gym was the Metro, the the venue like Opera House in Chicago. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, I defended the Metro with all my heart. I had a really good Lapras for team Valor doing my best. And every time I would walk back, I would see a smirking asshole pull out their phone. And it was always team Instinct, which is like the joke team. And they would wipe <laughs> out my Lapras with like, for whatever reason, uh, upon launch, maybe it's changed, but like. You had a 99% chance to see Drowsy in Chicago. Like, yeah. Drowsy was the Rattata of Chicago. So everyone had, like, a super powerful hypno. Like, every gym was, like, eight level 1,000 hypnos. And it was like, <laughs> this is bizarre. Yeah. What but a hugely fun. bold move to say different regions are going to have different, po- like, different regions of actual Earth yeah. are going to have specific, po- like, in my area, it was literally just Pidgey in yeah. New Jersey where I was. And then I, I would uh, thank the heavens whenever I got to commute to the city and see something that wasn't just a Pidgey. I loved hatching eggs. That was my big thing. Cause I, I liked the sort of uh, like the bit, uh, I must said bit strip. What the hell is wrong? I think I spilled coffee in my brain. <laughs> Fitbit. <laughs> Fitbit. I like the Fitbit element of hatching eggs. Also, I used to, at that time of the game, I worked in an office right by the river that was a prime spot for catching like Lapras and cool water types. So like mm. everyone in the office is like, Hey, like on lunch, let's go outside and catch this thing. Cause it's like there. Uh, it was awesome. Well, Steven, if you liked hatching eggs uh, and the Fitbit elements of the game, the bit strip uh, and, and also wandering around Pikmin bloom is like, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, Pikmin Bloom got announced uh, for a worldwide release recently. I think it's been in a closed beta elsewhere in the world for a little bit. Um, released in the US later last week. And I downloaded it immediately because I'm a person who wakes up or tries to at least wake up every morning and go for a walk before I go to work. Yeah. Um, I'll go walk around for like 20 minutes to 30 minutes and just kind of listen to a podcast or call a friend or do something. I don't know. Uh, listen to music, take pictures with my Nintendo DSi. And uh, just kind of like, I don't know, enjoy the day before I have to sit at a desk and, uh, you know, continue working. So something about a game like Pokemon Go has always appealed to me. Pokemon Go, I really wanted to be it. And I did have a when I moved to Brooklyn initially, I had an experience where I was like, I'm going to download Pokemon Go. I keep hearing it's still good. I want to check it out. I want to see why people are still playing with it and like just couldn't get into it. That game is built on so many levels of FOMO it's like the forgotten city of FOMO (laughs) that like I I just I just couldn't get over it like I always felt like I was missing something I always felt like the game was like forcing me to go out on a certain day it's like dude it's pouring out I'm not gonna go out and walk down the street so I can go to a 
Pokemon gym. And- but dude, Mime Junior is in the Walgreens. Don't you want a Mime Junior? Like I so like I so didn't. You know, like originally <laughs> when when Pokemon Go came out, my whole thing I thought it was brilliant that they launched with the original 151 just to like essentially be a huge nostalgia hit for the people who were like of the age to download games on their phone. Uh, and and go walk around in between like work meetings. Uh, it, it made a lot of sense to appeal to like the 90s, I guess, in that sense. And sure. since then, they've added more and more Pokemon. But in that era, right around when it came out, catching the original 151 like felt achievable. I was going out yeah. for like drives to different places in New Jersey. I was going for like weekend trips uh, a lot in like different cities and would always go out and like see what was around in Pokemon Go. I liked it a lot. The thing that never really appealed to me at all was the Pokemon gym aspect of it, like battling. Sure. Yeah, just I mean, it it doesn't feel like battling in the actual games. They made entire new mechanics for the way the battles work in Pokemon Go. I just like didn't get into it at all. So for me, it really was just walking around, exploring, catching stuff when given the opportunity. And that was good for a while. But eventually, you know, kind of wore off, I think, for everybody. Pikmin Bloom really is trying to capture just that side of what Pokemon Go is trying to do. And I think makes a lot of really smart choices to prevent itself. And who knows, maybe as they update the game and add more stuff to it, this will change. But right now, in the place it's at, the game is literally essentially just like a mood tracking and fitness app, uh, which I think is perfect. Because Pikmin, as a concept, is just like an inherently kind of like cute, vibey thing. I know like if you go and play an actual Pikmin game, it's like mostly a puzzle game, but you know, they're trying to like bake it in so much cuteness, you know, that that just kind of wafts over you and kind of tricks you into like not getting too frustrated with the puzzles that you're doing. But Pikmin Bloom very much is like you are just growing Pikmin uh, and you are sending them out to do things kind of like you would in the main game. And the way that that works is you plant little Pikmin seeds in little Pikmin pots uh, and it will, like the eggs in Pokemon Go, take a certain number of steps for them to essentially grow to the point where you can pull them out of the ground and then hang out with them. Uh, so what that really means is every morning the game sends you a notification and it tells you what the weather's going to be. It's like, hey, it's going to be, you know, kind of gray, but not rainy today. Do you want to go for a walk? And you say yes. And then you can then build up your uh, steps to grow those Pikmin. As you do that as well, as you continue to build up the amount of Pikmin you have in your stable, you can give them nectar, which grows the flower on the top of their head. Oh, I love um, that. And you can take the flower petals and put them in essentially like a little bag uh, on your back in in the game, obviously. Uh, And when you press a button in the game, uh, as you walk around, you just drop flower petals on the ground, which then plant flowers all over the real world, which essentially is like there is a gameplay purpose for it, which I'll get to. But I think the main goal of it is literally just to make your area around wherever you walk and wherever you live just like look nice. It's just like this big, flat, green area, but then you're creating these big, flowery fields, um, and depending on what kind of nectar you get, the flowers will be different colors and things like that. So you're essentially just creating this like beautiful, verdant, luscious field uh, around your area, and it's nice. Uh, you have a, essentially a certain amount of flower petals that you can put in a bag at a certain uh, at a given time, uh, which times you. In a way, it like gives you a time limit for your walk, which I think is actually helpful for me personally. Yeah, because I'll go out and it'll be like, okay, you have enough flower petals in here to do like a 30 minute walk. So it's like, perfect. Great. I'll 
time out exactly where I'm going to go and where I'm going to walk. And I'll be back by, you know, 845 and have 15 minutes to like set up and uh, get ready to start working at nine. And that has been actually strangely helpful for me. One of the things that I think is most interesting is that at the end of the day, the game sends you another notification and it's like, hey, let's you know check in and see how your day was. And it'll say, this is how many steps you walked. This is where you planted flowers. These are all the buds that you helped, which I'll get to. Uh, and then it asks you how your day was. And it's like a sad face, a kind of neutral face, then a happy face. After you pick one of those three, it'll and you can opt out of this. Obviously, I've opted into it because I think it's great. Uh, as a person who takes a lot of pictures, but it'll say, hey, here's a picture that you took today. Do you want to save this in your photo journal? And you can say yes. So now I have this kind of running log that is essentially a mood tracker. And also like an every day, it'll just take a picture that I took and, you know, kind of create a photo album for me and show me how many steps I took on that day. And I think that's really nice. It's just kind of a mood tracking app and a fitness app all blended into one under the guise of Pikmin. The whole app really at the moment, it's obviously monetized to hell if you want to buy stuff for it. I haven't needed to yet, but the whole app seems to exist literally as like an overall wellness thing, which I think is really nice. It gets rid of everything I really didn't like about Pokemon Go. I don't feel like it's forcing me to go do stuff. I don't feel like I'm missing anything uh, by not going out. And I can't even think of an experience in which they would send me a notification that's like, you can only get this one specific rare Pikmin on this day if you go to this area and do this much walking or something. That would really convince me to want to do that either. So I think like the base of this game, even if they iterate on top of it, is always going to be kind of more my speed than what Pokemon Go is trying to be. Yeah, that makes sense. I really, really like it. I've literally played it and gone out for a walk every single day since it came out. And I have like a little mood log for every day so far. And uh, it's good. It's just good. And it makes me feel good. (laughs) And that's like the most you can ask for out of a thing like this. That sounds lovely. Do you play as Olimar or do you customize your own astronaut? You make make a me. It it imports imports your, I mean... You sign in with your Nintendo account, so whatever me you have tied to your Nintendo account just gets pulled in. That raises that combines canon in a way I wasn't expecting. <laughs> so Wii Sports is set in the same universe as Pikmin. I love that. It's true. They say it right at the beginning. There's a big long cutscene about uh, the two universes colliding in a big way. <laughs> Woohoo Island gets totally uh, obliterated by Pikmin. Yeah, me and they become the dominant is the species. Prequel to uh, Pikmin Two, but not the other ones. Pikmin Bloom is good. Uh, just to answer the question, because I know somebody is, is wondering, uh, what about Pokestops? What about Pokemon Gyms? Things like that. They do exist in this game. The way they exist, I think, is a little bit more interesting. Uh, in Well, maybe not more interesting, but it's interesting in, in the context of this game where all of the spots that would be Pokestops or would be gyms in Pokemon Go exist as little, they exist as like little sprouts, just kind of like around. And as you walk around and drop flowers on the ground, you have to drop a certain amount of flower petals around that area to continue growing the sprout until it actually blooms into a full flower, which is kind of where the communal aspect of the game comes in. Mm. So like if multiple people are walking by on a daily basis and dropping flowers there, eventually it will sprout and turn into something, Uh, which is kind of cool because the first like two or three days, I was very much the only person literally in my entire area of Brooklyn playing this game very clearly (laughs) based on the flowers that I saw were always the same route that I was taking. Um, 
But now more people in my area are playing it. Uh, so some of those sprouts have now bloomed. And what that has unlocked is uh, Expeditions, which gets into very like actual Pikmin game territory mm. um, and is kind of your incentive to continue getting as many Pikmin as possible because as you go for walks and as these flowers continue to bloom, they'll drop things, they'll drop new Pikmin seeds, they'll drop fruits or new kinds of nectar and things like that. And you can send out a team of Pikmin on a quote unquote expedition to that area um, and they will go pick up that thing and bring it back. And it kind of takes like real time. So like if the thing is like a 15 minute walk away and you send three Pikmin out, they're very small. It'll take like a half an hour. And that's kind of fun. It, it has the same exact like Pikmin thing where you need to send out a certain amount so they'll be able to pick up a thing. But you can send twice the amount if you want it to be faster. Uh, if you have enough Pikmin to do that. I think it's good. I like it a lot. I'm going to keep playing it, I think. <laughs> that rules. That sounds really nice. I've actually yet to play a Pikmin game. So I wonder if this will be my first. <laughs> None? Ever? <laughs> No, I haven't played any. I think I've seen a friend play the first one. I didn't get it for whatever reason. And then um, is th- three is on the Switch, right? Three is on the Switch. Well, yeah. three was on the Wii U and then got re-released on the Switch. Kind of like a Mario gotcha. Party Deluxe situation. Gotcha. Maybe I'll start with three, but we'll see. I, I'm sure Pikmin will come at one, at one point for the show. I would love to talk about Pikmin at some point. Uh, yeah. Big, big uh, pickhead. <laughs> Why is this the returning bit? <laughs> It's not, it's not even funny. It's just you and I laugh at it every time. I'm sure everybody at home is like, stop that. Stop it. Just, just like, on a rocking chair listening. Stop it. Yeah. Well, Ugh. if you want other video game podcasts to listen to where they don't say things like pickhead, uh, abnormal mapping is pretty good. I started listening yeah. to uh, Glasshouse Games recently. There's a lot There's a lot of things you can go check out. You could out. also just watch Frasier for games <laughs> instead. It's true. Yeah. It is there. Well, that's about it on Pikmin Bloom, huh? <laughs> I guess we should take a break and come back yeah, and talk about something else. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'll be back here the Pikmin Bloomin'. Da, 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 da. Brendan, we are back, and we're talking about a game that we've both played uh, for the Nintendo Switch, the PS4, and I think Windows as well. Oh, is it on a bunch of stuff? I didn't know that. Let me Let me look it up. I think it is definitely on the PS4 and the Switch. Yeah, I was right. Microsoft Windows, PS4, and Nintendo Switch. You guessed it. It is Voice of Cards, The Isle Dragon Roars. It's a new game uh, published by Square, uh, directed by Yoko Taro of uh, Nier fame. And uh, a lot of of people who have worked on both Nier and the Drakengard games. So it's like a big... Like Yoko Taro reunion in some ways, yeah, <laughs> um, which is awesome. So that of course means it's composed by Keiichi Okabe, who's just unbelievable. Um, and if nothing else, this game's soundtrack is just fucked up. It's so good. It's really good. <laughs> um, this is a game you and I have been excited about. It got a really uh, cool demo that you played. I didn't play. I was sort of waiting for this game to come out. But the idea is that. It is an RPG where everything is visualized through cards. So it's sort of like a tabletop setting and like the world map will be cards. There's sort of like a fog of war where the cards will be face down. And as you move like a little piece around, the cards will flip over and reveal a new area. All the characters are cards, the menu, like everything that could be visualized is a card, which is really cool. Though ironically, I bring all that up because the actual game is not a deck builder. I think that it's like marketing itself as a card game because it's all cards. And weirdly, I would say it plays more like like a streamlined solo D&D adventure. Yeah. Where we'll get into the combat later, but um, the combat is more 
of a traditional RPG visualized through cards than it is like building a deck in like a monster train kind of way. Yeah, it fe- it just feels like a really nice visual way of representing the feeling you got playing old Final Fantasy games in a way. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like I an guess, old like dungeon crawler kind of thing. Exactly right. And so the game kind of begins and positions itself as like a very purposely generic fantasy story. Um, no spoilers here, but you begin as these three characters who are like, they look like a satire of a game like this, you know, like they're all sort of very serious and dramatic and like, you know, drawn in a way that that they all look very confident in their respective role in the, in the trio. And uh, it quickly reveals that those are not the characters you're playing as and you learn who you are. And it's this sort of like this this sort of doofus who like <laughs> is is described as just wanting money, basically. And his name is Ash, I believe, but you can customize their name. And they often refer to him as you. Like, they refer to that yes. character as the player. So I named him Steven. Yeah, uh, and I then did the he's same a, thing. I didn't name com- him Steven. I named him Brendan. But- <laughs> I would love if you also named Oh, this guy's an <laughs> idiot. I'm naming him Steven. <laughs> um, he's joined by this unbelievably amazing monster named Mar, who I love. Yeah. Um, and then a witch named Melanie. So, like... Even though you're already kind of like the the sort of like underdogs of this world, it has a traditional like trio there as well. Yeah, I I really like this game so far. So I'll say that I am about halfway through it. The game is like eight to ten hours, roughly speaking. And I know of its development that Yokotaro originally wanted this to be a mobile game that could be like sort of routinely updated. Mm. And I kind of understand why because it seems like such a good foundation as like a battle system and as just like a way to experience this type of game. I was going to um, actually mention, I think, I think the, the subtitle, the Isle dragon roars, uh, to me sets up that there would be other campaigns and other experiences kind of added onto this eventually. Yeah, I, I hope so. Cause I think that, um, I really love like anyone who's played D and D or DM this immediately kind of inspired me to like run something similar in a way. Cause it, it, it's streamlined to the point where it's really just focusing on like, at least in battle, the things you need to make a, a fight exciting. So the way it works is that you have a party of three. Eventually you get more characters who are represented as a card. Like when you get into a battle, there's like a like game box put on the table and there's like a little, uh, it's really beautiful. Like I love how everything is like, you're actually playing a tabletop game. Yeah. It also feels kind of microcosmic because I think a lot of Yokotaro games are like very aware they are a game. Mm-hmm. So to have a game that is literally visualized as a game is like the end result of that philosophy. <laughs> right. um, but uh, you you see the three characters as like cards on the table and kind of like Pokemon, every character will learn new skills as they level up, but you can only have four skills like equipped f- to be used. So there is like, it's not a deck builder, but there is strategy in thinking like, what cards do I want to have on the ready for this character? Yeah, um, it's a, and- it's almost like the card framing just exists to kind of streamline the way you, the player, will think about those mechanics. Like, it's a lot totally. easier to say what four attack cards am I going to add onto this character than like what four attacks am I going to equip at this time? Weirdly, um, yeah, it, it feels I- more tangible because of that like physicality of, of cards. I totally agree. And, and like placing it down and seeing like, okay, like all the cards kind of have very direct roles to play. So like every, every character will have a card attack that is like just deals damage. And the damage it deals is like 
there's a icon on the bottom left of every card that has a number that is like an attack can do anywhere between zero and that number. It's like a dice roll, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but that attack will give you a gem and fancier attacks will require gems to use. And I love like a gem will just be kind of dropped in a box like, on the top corner. Yeah. And uh, it, I just I really love that detail. Yeah. If you've but, played uh, like a Hearthstone or Magic or any kind of card battle game like that, you, you've seen what this game is kind of going for presentationally. Um, it, it has, you know, the, the health uh, is represented on the card. Your defense is represented on the card. Your attack is represented on the card. The gems are essentially like your mana per turn, things like that. But uh, I, I think it's I, I think it's using a lot of that uh, visual reference just to kind of like ease players into what the game is trying to do, which is very different, I think, because as you're saying, I think one of the biggest things that's probably hard for a lot of people to wrap their head around and at least was for me in the demo and took me a while in the actual game release to uh, to fix on was the exact thing that you just mentioned, which is that. You know, if your character has a, a 13 damage stat, that doesn't mean they're going to do 13 damage every time. Uh, it means it's going to be a little bit of a dice roll. And it's also you going up against the defense stat. But it's also not like Hearthstone, where if you have 10 attack and the enemy has five defense, then you're only going to do five. Uh, that's also not the situation. Um, it is a little bit like, I don't know, you have to do a little bit of math in your head, I guess, if you actually want to figure out your chances of of defeating an enemy in one blow, for example. I found very quickly that I just stopped thinking about it entirely. As much as like there is an attack and defense and things like that, I just kind of started to think to myself, well, I'm the level I'm supposed to be for this encounter, so I'll probably be okay. Yeah, and I think also the attacks are more to get gems than they are to deal damage. Like you're doing yeah. those basic attacks to get access to stuff like like Melanie has an ability where she does frost damage and if you roll you roll a D8 and if you roll five or higher, the enemy freezes. And then freezing an enemy, the next attack will do double damage. So it's like it's more about you're pursuing ideas over numbers, I think. Yes. Um, but what I love is that it's not I find with a lot of deck builders, which I know this isn't necessarily one, but with a lot of card games, the game will begin and your <laughs> the cards you're given are like this card does sidestep. Every card you have that sidesteps gives you 0.5 mana. Mana is not the mana you need for like it's they're already throwing meta strategies at you like from the first turn. Yes. That it's like you like are overestimating how much I know about this game right away. Yeah. I, I so badly that. wanted to get yeah. into the Magic the Gathering uh like iPad release or whatever that was. <laughs> right. Uh, and just could not for that exact reason. Now, for for a game like Magic or you know like the, the game I'm thinking of in this case is Griftlands, which I really like but there was just so many terms being thrown at you that I yeah. found it like paralyzing at first. You know, I think in a game you want to slowly introduce that. Whereas in magic, you know, there's usually like when you buy cards, there'll be like a central idea you're building around, but it is still like you're dealing with decades worth of cards that have, you know, terminology that you need to learn. It's a lot. So yeah. I appreciate, again, this game's kind of slow ramp up, even as someone with a lot of experience with these games, not throwing way too many terms at you right away because honestly like i find that the game's difficulty for most encounters like you're probably gonna win but the game is so fun visually and when like when you attack the animation of the cards like when you crit the card will like spin around and attack and like that is always fun so it's it's really like it's not a question of whether or not you're gonna win most of the time it's a question of how do you want to win yeah which i think is that's what keeps me engaged over like and and I get like I've seen I've seen reviews where people have noted the lack of challenge as like a 
a negative trait of the game. I, I do understand that a little bit because I think that like like a lot of older RPGs, this is harkening back to, there are a lot of random encounters. Like as you're navigating a dungeon or the world map, like you'll you'll run into a new enemy like every few seconds. Um, it doesn't feel jarring though in the way that some older RPGs can because of the setup and of the presentation. And I don't really mind. I think I found that the game for random encounters, like you kind of have this power fantasy just sort of steamrolling enemies and then the bosses are usually at least interesting enough that you have to think a bit more and i like that it kind of reminds me a little bit of tales of arise where like most fights you get into in that game you're going to obliterate the enemy and then the bosses really challenge your understanding of the game yeah and voice of cards is doing like not quite as a dramatic leap in difficulty with the bosses at least so far i'm only halfway through but there is a little bit of that going on which i enjoy yeah, I, uh, I I found my experience with this game to be mainly relaxing, which is yeah. kind of which is kind of not the vibe I was expecting. I was I was expecting it to be a little bit closer to, I, I think, uh, like a final like an early Final Fantasy, you know, constant random encounter battles, constantly being challenged. Uh, the, the difficulty kind of maybe being the reason that I eventually bounce off of it. I, I think, you know, I, I know myself and my taste enough to know that, like, maybe Voice of Cards wasn't going to be it for me. Uh, if the game got like too crushingly difficult or I bounced off of it for, you know, some reason here or there that is just a kind of symptom of the genre and what it's trying to harken back to. And I have found that none of that stuff has gotten in my way, uh, even in the slightest. It is it is mainly just a game where I wander around. There's kind of like so, so there is a map that you're moving around uh, and each tile is a card that's flipped over until you uh, are near it and then it will then flip and you get to see the face and see what kind of thing it is. So like maybe it's a walking path or maybe it's like trees or maybe it's the ocean and you can't go in the ocean. Uh, so that's kind of your border of the map that you're walking around. So it kind of is like, you know, tiles in an old game in a way, yeah. like in an yeah. old uh, RPG. But I have found that my experience with this game has just been like, I'm going to uncover literally every single card on this map in every single place that I go visit uh, because I, I want to leave literally no stone slash card unturned and that has been wildly rewarding i mean that seems to be the way to play this game uh because of that i've also been over leveled most of the time because i'm literally going around and exploring every inch of the map and finding everything so i'm getting all the equipment all the money all the uh random encounter battles all so all that experience uh, and it all really adds up if you you know do that before you progress onto the next story beat every single time. And that's just kind of made this like a fun, laid back, chill game to play. Like yesterday you were streaming a whole bunch and I was just playing voice of cards like literally the whole time. And I'm not far in at all, but I've already played like three hours uh, because <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I'm just being very meticulous about the way I'm playing. And it's been really fun. I, I really like it. I, I love uh, narratively what they're doing already. I, I kind of like you don't want to spoil a whole lot. It's not it's not that like it's not that wild, but um, there are some like fun turns. I think one of the ones that I will at least allude to is like the protagonist sucks. Like the protagonist yeah. is an asshole. You get dialogue choices constantly and you have three options that you can choose from and they all seem like pretty OK. And literally any of the ones you pick They'll just say the rudest, worst, most terst version of that thing that you picked um, and pretty much piss off everybody in the room every single time. And yeah. it is it's funny every time. But I also wonder if it's going to lead to something like it does feel like maybe kind of a loose dangling thread that will be either tied up or pulled on later, which I think will be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think the game, 
y- Yokotaro's games always tend to be subversive in some way, and the game is very clearly setting up tropes to sort of like interrogate. Yeah. And like even, you know, the central motivation of like me- you are basically just doing this for money and your monster doesn't talk, but they're just sort of there for the ride. Yeah. And then Melanie, the witch you meet, has this like kind of burning desire to kill the dragon, but you don't know why. All at the time, the Ivory Order, who are the three heroes you play as in the beginning, they're weirdly antagonistic to the group where they're like, yeah. you know, the the sort of prophesized heroes. But there's more going on there. So I, I I don't know if it's like going for the same narrative highs his other games are. This is weirdly like the most grounded Yokotaro game I've played. I feel like this is actually like yeah. if you want to get a taste of his style, but you don't have like five playthroughs of Nier Automata in you. This is actually maybe a good place to start. That being said, his like twisted sense of humor and his style of writing are in the game in that like uh, a, a common thing that happens in a lot of his games is that weapons will have stories so whenever you get a new weapon there will be like a really beautifully written short story that is like maybe about the owner of the weapon previously or something like that yeah and then in this game the more you fight certain enemies the more you meet certain characters every character you meet every npc every monster has a card in your collection and you'll unlock a story on the back of the car that will flip over. Right. And a lot of those stories are like really funny or really disturbing. But then there'll be stuff for like the different shopkeepers and the innkeepers and like what's up with them. And um, I really enjoy getting those, like, even though they're a mixed bag. Like Some are like just sort of shocking for the sake of it. And some are like really beautifully written. That is fun to me. That that collection aspect I really enjoy. And yeah, I think I'm I'm intrigued where the story is going. I'm not like completely immersed in it because it is sort of so purposely surface level but i'm excited to see like what twists and what things are are on their way because something is definitely up there's that lingering feeling of like there's more that meets the eye here yeah um, definitely cool yeah. um i do know also and I, don't, I don't know if this is going to lead down a near automata path uh we'll see i guess but i know there's a new game plus aspect to this game as well which i'm interested yeah, in and there's multiple endings too which yeah. i think are dependent on like i think you can carry over items that unlock like a certain ending in new game plus yeah so. i've been unlocking something called mystery cards as yes. i continue to help the people who live around in some of the towns um which i think if i had to guess we're going to add up to whatever that secret ending is or whatever new game plus thing is going on but uh yeah i i really like this game i i'm very surprised at least at my own love of it uh so quickly because like you i mean you you and i talked about it off the show a little bit you started playing that game you're like i think it's pretty good and then you looked at the clock and like three to five hours had gone by and (laughs) that's really been my experience too it's like once i kind of get into it i i don't put it down so i literally needed to like when you stopped streaming yesterday i forced myself to put the game down because i knew i would just spend the rest of the day playing it and i had other stuff i wanted to check out for the episode so i mean voice of cart glowing recommendation voice of cards it's cool yeah i think i I think it is worth knowing that it's not a deck builder though because i think it is marketing itself as that it's like not but it's a great time i think if you're a fan of yokotaro stuff you will enjoy this i think if you're like new to his work you're just intrigued by the presentation you'll probably have a pretty good time i'm really curious to see where it goes like i kind of want to i really want to finish this one you know it's one of those games that i want to see through to the end yeah Uh, knowing yokotaro probably multiple times to get whatever the true ending is (laughs) um but uh it's a really 
really cool idea that's done very well. And I want to see more with this battle system. That's like kind of what I keep thinking is like, I love how simple it is. And like, I think you could, I hope you're right that this is like one of several campaigns using this because like, well, I do like that the game isn't very challenging. I would love to be pushed to experiment more with this combat. Mm. Cause like, I kind of think like at this point it's a sort of, I win no matter what. And I would love to see it like push a little bit beyond that, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I definitely get that. You're playing on Switch, right? Yeah, I am. The Switch port is good. There is a little bit of lag with some loading times. Nothing that's like super noticeable, but I imagine that might not be the case on PS4 or Windows, depending. Um, But it's like the kind of game that I I think is cool to have on Switch because of the presentation. It's one of the games I I actually have enjoyed doing handheld with. Yeah, Um, I'll say two things about handheld mode. One, I think the text is a little bit too small. I think they need to kind of, uh, I don't know, just uh, enlarge some of the yeah. uh, UI elements um, just to make it a little bit more visible and usable on Switch. But also, it works really well with the touchscreen. I've been playing mainly with the touchscreen in handheld mode, which I wasn't expecting, and uh, really just makes me want an iPad port, honestly. Oh, yeah, else. totally. Uh, or like, hey, Apple, put it on Apple Arcade or something. <laughs> That'd be cool. Voice of Cards. The Isle Dragon Roars. <laughs> Uh, it's weird. There, there's another game that's almost exactly like this. Not exactly, but there's oh, the a, grid game. Yeah, uh, it's called Dungeon Encounters, which is another like kind of um, I would say like minimalist take on uh, dungeon crawling from Square Enix that was published on the Switch like a couple weeks ago. Uh, when, when was this? Yeah, mid October it came out. Uh, really weird that they would release both games around the same time. Um, yeah, it makes me wonder like. If there's some like strange A/B testing with entire video games going on or something, like I don't, I don't know what the what the thought process is there to not space them out. But uh, either way, are in. I was I was really interested in checking out Dungeon Encounters when I first heard about it. Um, but just knowing that Voice of Cards was coming out was like of the two, I'm obviously going to pick the Yokotaro one. Um, yeah, which is kind of a bummer because Dungeon Encounters seems good. I mean, people I've I've seen of the few people who didn't make the choice that you and I made and ended up picking up dungeon encounters people seem to like it so maybe that's like a one day experience but uh for now voice of cards is it for me yeah me too it's a great time you want to wrap up yes hey thank you so much for listening we appreciate you if you like the show the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend you can rate us on apple podcasts out of five stars uh, and into the cast.online is our hub for all our links our youtube our twitch We've been pretty active on both lately. I just did an Oblivion stream and a very brief Code Veronica stream, <laughs> which was funny. Uh, that game is something else. Uh, anyway, um, Spooky Season is over, bittersweet, but we will continue doing more stuff on Twitch. I'm going to be resuming my uh, maddening run of Golden Deer and then starting my Nuzlocke, like I've said many times, later in November. Do you have any plans right now for streaming? For streaming, not really sure, if I'm being totally yeah. honest. That's kind of it. <laughs> like, yes, like I'll probably be streaming some stuff. I just don't know what yet. Yeah, assuming my laptop isn't dying, I will be uh, streaming pretty regularly this month. But I'll keep you posted on that. We already announced the DS episode is going to be a season five premiere. That's not for a while. <laughs> we thought we'd let you know for fun just early on. ZA 5 comes out. ZA 5 comes out. That's SMT exciting. 5 comes out. Oh, yeah, I'm excited about that. Pokemon comes out. But we're definitely, I think... We're all kind of in prepping for goatee mode at this point. So yeah, I'm probably going to be carving out some time to like play everything that I've liked this year again to kind of get a fresh take on it. There are still many games that haven't come out yet that I'm fairly sure are like contenders for the list. 
But I'm really excited to Final Fantasy VII, The First Soldier for iOS. <laughs> you know me. Do you want to announce our bonus for this month? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the bonus for November is going to be Tales of Arise, uh, which is a game we brought to the show a couple times now. Yeah, maybe not Maybe not super surprising, but uh, yeah, probably I'm sure I'm excited to finish that thing. We're going to be finishing it, and we're going to be joined by a good friend of mine, uh, Eric Smith. So I'm very excited about that because he's a big Tales fan, and uh, you and I are both new to the series. So it'd be fun to hear someone's perspective who's like played a lot of them for a yeah. long time part of my uh prep for that episode also i have i have just a lot of tales games uh that yeah. I picked up um they're like pretty widely available i i mentioned earlier yeah. on that I, I thought they might not be super available and then somebody uh either in the discord or on twitter or somewhere i'm sorry i don't remember uh reached out and said like hey no you can get most of these games they tend to get ported a lot they're pretty widely available so uh, I have like three or four other Tales games that I'll probably not like play all of, obviously, but I do want to get a little bit of a sense of like where the franchise was coming from and why Arise specifically is so interesting as kind of like not fully a repudiation, but, you know, a little bit of like a swerve from uh, what came yeah. before. Yeah, I have um, I have Vesperia and Berseria. Berseria was like, I think, three dollars one day on the PS5 store. So, yeah. I got that one. Yeah, you and I um, picked it up that day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's cool to hear. Like, it seems like every game, too, is like, kind of doing its own thing. So it feels a little bit more like if Final Fantasy is like every new game is like a completely new foundation and Dragon Quest is very much like s- occupying a similar space. Tales feels kind of in the middle. So I'm excited to actually experience them. Yeah. Uh, so look forward to that, please. Cool. I guess that's it. Hey. Thank you so, so, so much for listening. Uh, this show is a constant joy to make. Been really appreciating it a lot recently. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful day. Yeah. Have some pumpkin stuff. Live Have a little. Spice up your life. Stuff. Ooh, live a little. Live a little. Oh, speaking of that, the Animal Crossing update comes out soon. And I think we, we did a segment called Live in a Little. That would be like an update on Animal Crossing. I think we will be doing the first... <laughs> revived a bit i guess uh segment on that uh when the update comes out so looking forward to that goodbye (laughs) bye (laughs) 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 (laughs)